Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. So normally I would ask you, what did you think of Iconoclast? But before we jump into that, we got a couple of things to address. Firstly, this is the first time one of my podcast episodes is on my YouTube channel. So for those that might have actually clicked the link in the subscription feed, assuming it showed up, this is not going to be a regular thing. Like, I'm not going to post every episode of the podcast, but special episodes. Like, the next one is probably when we talk about Spider-Man, when you finish it in, like, I don't know, sometime in 2021. Most likely. Um, so, this is my podcast. It's what I uh, sort of normally do with my friend Steve. We try and do it every other week, but that's kind of the second problem to address is... We fell into a time warp. Yes, that's exactly. And we lost weeks, months. I don't even know how long it's, it's been since... But we did save the future. We did. Uh, yes. No, all seriousness, I suffered something called sciatica. It means I'm an old man now uh, with like bad backs and pinched nerves. And all the exercise I was trying to do only made it worse. So, um, I was basically out for a month. And before that, there was just lots of bad weather and stuff every time we tried to record. So... We're back now. We're hopefully going to be semi-regular again. Try every other week. Um, if you want to keep up with every episode or see anything else, I have a new website, www.ramblepack64.com. It's my blog. It's got links to the videos and other information, and it's got this podcast and links to it. So everything, one place, and even those that normally listen to the podcast get it through the RSS feed. There you go, uh, ramblepack64.com. You can even play it within the posts. I made a nice little Ooh, update. Fancy. It's all HTML5 now. So that's it. That's the background there. So, hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. What did you think of Iconoclasts? I, I, I was blown away. You're I, lying to me right now. No, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not lying to you. I didn't know what to expect. I've, I've played, uh, so I'm a big fan of the Vita. I'm like the Vita Evangelist. You're one of seven. Vita Evangelist. Yeah. Uh, Vita Meet Evangelist? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, the flow of games has not been particularly, well, the flow of AAA major publisher type games has not been that great on the Vita, but the number of retro indie side-scrolling platformers metroidvanias we've been awash with those yes. so i've tried quite a few and so initially you recommend this game iconoclast and i'm like the art style looks cool and that was probably the only thing that actually got me to play it to begin with because <laughs> i really like this art style i watched the you know, trailer i like the animation style okay i'll try it out and it's just really head and shoulders to me above all these other similar type games that I've, pl I've played recently and before that on the Vita. Because I think originally when we were talking about it, you weren't over as impressed as I was with it. But at the same time, you also came back to me later like, yeah, I tried to play this other game and wow, Iconoclast does a really good job. Which I think for me is part... Because I don't play a lot of indie games very often. Um, like that trailer I linked you. The the launch trailer or whatever. The release date trailer. 
that was what caught my attention and i was like man i love the look of the animation it looks like it's story heavy like an rpg but it's like a action platformer so i decided okay this is the like hollow knight it's like okay this is like one of those indie games i'm just gonna get because everything about its aesthetic the gameplay trailer like looks like it's my style and man was this ever my style i really fell in love with i mean not at first i did really like a lot of the gameplay it felt fun it felt cozy like i was able to play for a little bit and it's just i felt like everything sunk in like i uh they, they teach you the basics of the the screw the right. the, 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 the the tools the wrench that's what it is the, the wrench they give you the basics of the wrench then it's like oh i can swing across this i can do this like everything felt so immediate felt so understood as i played it that it just intuitive um yeah so this is i think one of the things that really set, sets it apart and you go over this in depth in your video but is the way it introduces you to new mechanics smoothly and it gives you time to get used to those mechanics before throwing something else at you yes um where a big problem in a lot of modern games is we, you get stuff thrown at you and you don't necessarily need to use it. And then you, by the end of the game, you've got 20 different mechanics and you may have only ever needed to use some of those mechanics in the tutorial section-ish section where they were introduced. Like, yeah. oh, do this to attack this enemy that way. Okay, I'm gonna do well, that. It's like the systems never really encourage you. Right. Or my favorite is where they teach you something at the very beginning of the game, and like six hours later, you finally need to use it, but because you haven't used it since the tutorial, you completely forget you have that ability. So you backtrack, you're lost, you're like, what do I have to do? And you finally look online and it's like, oh yeah, I can do that thing. Um, so Iconoclast never really had that moment for me. Everything was, again, like it's, it's, it's mostly focused on just the basic tools. So until you maybe start to get some slightly new abilities, but even then, it's just building off of the same basic few symbols, but it never feels like you're limited. Um, it feels like the options are still varied, they're, they're great, and they, they're really put to use in a lot of the different boss fights as well, which I will admit, um, I should also note, I played this game twice on PS4. The first time was just to play it, second time for the recording, and now I'm I I've almost completed it on the Switch again. And <laughs> it took until the Switch for me to really be good at the boss fights in any capacity, including... Uh, that, that would actually be a uh, spoiler boss fight, now that I think about it, so... We'll yeah. hold that for a little bit. Yeah, so that was... The boss fights were interesting. <laughs> Interesting is usually a bad word. Well, no, no. So disguised as a good word. I think. I think some of it. Um, so playing on the Vita was there were some disadvantages to that because it wasn't always as clear what was going on as on if the you were playing on the TV. As, as if I was playing on a larger screen, or even watching a YouTube video on my laptop, I could see specific patterns more clearly and say. Oh, that was so obvious. How did I miss that? How did that kill me five times before I figured that out? Uh, or something like that. So, because all, all these bosses is basically, there's a trick to it, right? 
It's a, it's so, a pattern I mean, recognition. In their own way, they're, they're their own kind of puzzles. I mean, it's right. not even just pattern recognition. Most of the time, you're actually, you know, you're right. It's pattern recognition for the most part. And it's okay, but, like, this boss is going to do this thing, and then as soon as it does that thing, you've got to do this thing, and then you, okay, swing on this on the wrench, and then it'll open up. Or, okay, here's your damage phase. After the damage phase, you have to duck under this thing, otherwise the boss is going to shred you. That was one that got me. The, the oh, boss yeah, fight yeah. where you got like you got to duck under the platform. Okay, I think I know what you. I got. think it's like yeah. one of the early. It was one of the early for the helicopter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's that one little gap, but uh, like anything else will hit you. Yeah. But yeah, you, otherwise you gotta you gotta step under the gap for like the laser beam or something. Um, no, and, and I have that too. Like one of the things they show in the trailer is the um, the, uh, the the oh I can't remember any of the names now. The, uh, the, like, the crawler or whatever. That the, goes around the, the big circle. The one that goes circle. around this big circle. And for, for both playthroughs of the game, I was screwed up so much because you got to charge the wrench and then jump onto the, the thing. And I would immediately, like, jump off because I wasn't sure it was, go like, going on top. I didn't realize it was waiting for you. Right, that was, It was that waiting specifically for you to jump onto the railing. And then it just went, went automatically. Right, so you, there, yeah, there's little stuff like that. So in this, in this one particular fight... You are trying to figure out the timing of when to jump, and if you wait too long, you just go, it just happens. But what actually is happening is the game is just like a timer where it'll just go automatically eventually, but as but soon as you. you do your move to avoid the damage, you gotta grab onto something with a wrench, it'll do the move that would, would hurt you otherwise. Yeah. So it can really throw you off because you're like, this timing is so inconsistent. You don't I have to be that it. vague. We're not. We're, I mean, that's not really a huge spoiler. It's not like a huge but, spoiler, yeah. Um, no, and that that I think the 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 boss fights are one of the big draws. It's it, it, people do call it a Metroidvania, but for me, it doesn't really have enough of the exploration puzzle. Well, I don't even want to say puzzle. It's like for me, like Metroidvania is all about collecting all kinds of stuff that's like really definitively useful. And while I think getting all the different components for your upgrades allows for some usefulness, like I think most of the components are only going to be good for like really diehard kind of players. Like, I, I, it doesn't have the same. But then again, like this is a whole debate. Like we could probably have a podcast episode on what is well, a Metroidvania, what doesn't count, like and Metroid why I kind of hate the title. Yeah, for I say Metroidvania has become a really overused title for any game that has sections gated off that you need to acquire a new ability to open that section. Unless it's Resident Evil, because for some reason the original Resident Evil does not count as a Metroidvania. Right. Even though well, it has that's because the it's same a, general design. A lot of times that was just a key hunt, too. Which is a different... Oh, so Doom is a Metroidvania. <laughs> Doom is a key hunt. Doom came out before Castlevania Symphony of the Night, so... It did, this is true. So really... Really, Metroidvanias are doom likes. That's what I'm going to start calling them. It's a doom like. Don't. No. This game is absolutely nothing like Doom. It's like the exact opposite, opposite. of Doom. It's very colorful. Yes, it's. it's then again, Doom was mind. colorful. Right. So okay. So, so from a from a gameplay perspective, you're basically right. You're you're in a semi-ish open-ish world, 2D platforming. And you'll gain various abilities, mostly for your wrench and your stun gun. You basically only have two uh, two tools, essentially, a wrench and a stun yeah. gun, that are ever-expanded. 
And as you learn to use those, you'll be able to access different parts of the environment. So, you know, you'll finish sort of level one, and then you'll go back later in the game to the level one area. And now a previously inaccessible area is accessible because you've gained a new ability that allows you to cross a gap or to break rocks that you couldn't break with your earlier version of the stun gun. And so the world slowly expands until you have access to the complete map, basically. But pretty quickly, they also give you a fast travel, too. Right, yeah. Which, the fast travel, though, it's like you have to go to the fast travel specifically in that region. So it's like fast travel-ish. Yeah, fast-ish, travel-ish, in an open-ish, world-ish. <laughs> um, and what I have been doing with the Switch playthrough is I've been trying to get a lot more of the optional content. Like, when you played, did you ever find, um, there's the girl in the, uh, the, 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 the pirate base that gives you the letter. Yes. To someone in Settlement 17, Building 10. Yes. Did you find Building 10? No. I found it completely by accident on my third playthrough. Keep going. Like, you know the last house where the, the pudgy lady lives with her kid mm -hmm. and she hates Robin? You keep going until you walk through the wall and there's the like, it reveals there's a house there. Oh, man. Yeah, see, like, so I've got all of these side quest things. And then you I don't ever out. complete them because yeah, it's like, wait, I what? didn't know if that was I think, intentional. I think they did patch it, though. Like, And they, they patched it after I recorded because the Switch version, all of a sudden, like, I'm looking at the map and there's, like, a heart icon. And I'm like, what is that? I don't remember ever seeing that. And I go, and it's to complete the side quest. So maybe it gives that information bugged? on the side quest. I don't know if it was bugged. Or if they just... And it might have been patched in later, is what I think. Or they patched it to, right, to improve that. Um, that was sort of like uh, another game I played recently, Cosmic Star Heroin, where I guess that I played the final, uh, totally patched, totally finished version, but apparently that had some similar things where there were there were side quests that were hinted at but not actually accessible, and then they did a patch, and now that you can do this side quest or something like that. Interesting. But I, I guess the indie games, you. Yeah, this is. You more. can only do so much. This is like a game that was developed by one guy for seven right. years. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's, and that's what is really, like, even seven years, one guy, like, this is kind of incredible to consider what he managed on his own. Um, but at the same time, it's also, I feel like that afforded him the ability. Cause we're like, I'm playing through Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider, cause I'm gonna make a Rise of the Tomb Raider mm -hmm. video next. And, one of the things that I read when looking up interviews, uh, trying to figure out like the, the whole writing situation, Rihanna Pratchett mentioned one of the difficulties in writing for a game like this is you will have a whole bunch of cut content where you have to whittle down and stuff like that. And when you play a game like Iconoclast, it doesn't feel like... Because a lot of AAA games, you can kind of feel like, oh, they probably wanted to do more. Like We talked about it with God of War. Right. Where God of War felt like, oh, they probably wanted to do more with Kratos and his kid at these parts, but they probably had to cut content and boom, here we go, we, we got what we right. got. Um, they did what they could in the time allotted. But Iconoclast doesn't feel like that. Iconoclast, the story feels, start to finish, like everything it was intended to be. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it feels like it's there is a, a singular vision to the game. Everything feels like it doesn't feel like 
you know, oh, okay, well, we had this other, this one team do this section that's weird or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like like Final Fantasy VII or something where it's like, now there's a snowboarding game. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Now there's a motorbike section where you fight on a motorcycle. Like, it's very... Yeah, even, even when they do introduce a minigame like the whole box sorting, mm. the writing of the characters feels consistent. Because the soldiers always feel weird because, like... Until they're actually threatening, they never really feel threatening. No. But they never feel stupid either. They just feel like... They feel like competent slackers is the best I can put it. Yeah, they're just... And I think it's good. It helps with the the whole world-building aspect of it. Is These are regular guys. Yeah. They don't know how much they totally believe in all of this. All the, the religious stuff. The religious yeah. stuff. And they're just... This is... It's their job. Yeah. And they're going to do their job, and maybe they're going to do a bad job. And, oh man, we better shoot Robin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I do love how, like, at one point in the game, there's one soldier that, like, kind of just points the gun at her head when she's not looking, and he's, like, shaking his hands. And then when she turns around, he's just like, oh, no, I wasn't doing nothing. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, the game's got so much character just in the soldiers, let alone the actual characters. Um, and that's what I spent a lot of time skimming over like I I touched on it lightly in the video but I love all of the characters in this game even the ones that are like like I feel like a lot of people have issue with Elro mm -hmm. I remember you said you didn't like Royal either um, well yeah I mean I didn't I, I mean yeah Royal was kind of not that I didn't like I mean you're not supposed to like him right like he's not a sympathetic character well it's he has yeah, there. So, so anyway, so so for the listener here, so there are, there's a, there's basically there's there's a core narrative, right, which has to do with Robin, who's a mechanic who just kind of wants an to illegal help mechanic, an illegal yeah. mechanic. She's not a licensed mechanic, I guess. She's a, yeah, she's a uh, unlicensed mechanic in a totalitarian state that she's not allowed to be. She's supposed to do what she's supposed to do, not. Yeah, what she wants to do. Her she dad just, is dead. Her, she's helping out her brother and the other villagers. She just wants to help people, but, and she gets caught up in this big web of basically what ends up being she's the world a, is ending. The world is ending. The, the apocalypse, basically, and she ends up being a central figure in saving the world. Saving she's the world, right? Effectively, the reason the world is saved altogether. And but all but, she really was doing was minding her own business and helping her friends and family. That got, her, that got her thrown into all of this. But then she's surrounded in this by a mix of these, you know, other other people who are just sort of playing their part in these larger-than-life figures who have all of these, all this drama. They've all and, got their own goals. They've all got their own right. motivations that they're driving forward. It's like, Robin feels like the, the most altruistic character. Because um, even her enemies, she's not going to kill, kind of a deal. And everyone else is kind of just driven by their own ends. Like, even from the very get-go, um, they hint that General Chrome, for example, has his own ambitions that he's chasing right. towards. The only closest comparison would be to, to Robin would be as a sort of, I don't want to say mirror, but Agent Black is basically doing what duty dictates of her. Mm -hmm. She's not acting in her own interests, but she's acting in the interests of others. But it's 
not by her own compulsion. She's not doing what she wants to do, whereas Robin sincerely wants to do what helps right. others. It's an interesting kind of mirror between the two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, Black is one of the more interesting characters. She's probably the best character. Yeah, in the I, game. I, she's she's definitely. I mean, so your main your you have a silent protagonist and Robin. For the most part, yeah, you get some dialogue choices, but otherwise. Yeah, sure, you get dialogue choices. Chrono. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, but you have all of this color and all these other characters. You have General Chrome, who's this sort shirtless of shirtless cowboy. Yeah, the shirtless cowboy. Cyborg. I just realized I don't even. I, I gotta remember. No, he does wear pants. He just got robo legs too. Yeah. So I was wondering, he's, like, wait, does he even have pants or is it just robo legs? Yeah, the, the shirtless <laughs> cyborg cowboy general, uh, which just is that. Do you need any more description? Well, red. That's the thing. He's a cowboy, but he doesn't behave like what most people would stereotype because he's well read. He's philosophical, but he's incredibly full of himself. Yeah. Even though he doesn't think he is. And then you have Agent Black, who's like, "Can we just shoot someone with guns?" Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's just had enough of all of this. And and well, you sort of you get. I'm not going to give too much away now. But so you know, she's just she's this sort of sardonic, just like, okay, like we're here to kill people. Like let's just kill the people. Yes, just kill the and people. Get this done let's with. Let's make sure everything's in order so we can get this going, you know. Because she she hints the, how much knowledge she has about what's really going on, too, the whole time. Um, she just doesn't care. She's just... She doesn't care. She's just like, okay, let's just do, do this. Because, like, her question at that point is, what am I even living for? Right. And that's what I think is... Because really, everyone else is kind of living for something. And she... Is living for duty, and that's oh my goodness. There's so much you could analyze about her, and maybe we will when we get to the spoilers, which we probably should be trying to get to soon. Get to soon. And then, so then I'm just you know kind of giving over. So you have Elro. So what? I didn't really get Elro. I kind of do after three playthroughs, especially. Yeah, uh, you would hopefully would after three playthroughs. Uh, here's the thing about Elro. Elro wants to do what Elro feels like doing but he's also kind of very he, he projects very easily he's the kind of person that projects very easily onto other people and his own insecurities but basically he's driven by what just he wants to do and as a result the way he talks with other people he doesn't come off very well what makes him sympathetic of anything is you can at least understand some of his attitude regarding Robin, given what he's lost. The problem is he's being hypocritical the whole time, and he is purely acting in his own self-interest the whole time. He is not acting in Robin's interest. He yeah. is not acting in anybody else's interest. He, he's the exact opposite of Robin. He is acting in his own interest, but he masquerades. He's, he's actually closer to Chrome, now that I think about it. So, well, I think kind of one of the impressions I get with Elro is that he's not, he doesn't want to protect Robin from getting hurt. He wants to not personally feel the pain of Robin getting hurt. Or even I, being involved, because that's the thing, like everything he does, he doesn't want to, like, because he's, he's on his own journey, and I can't... Until we get into spoilers, I don't really want to de detail it. Yeah. 
but he's on his own journey and he doesn't and whether he truly believes she's too naive whether he truly believes she's too innocent because that's his biggest uh, failing is he underestimates her mm. he underestimates Robin completely um, and it's funny because now that I think about it we haven't even discussed uh, Mina yet who is effectively Robin's best friend throughout the whole thing um, but I, I mean I feel like there's also kind of because she's got her own journey. Yeah. She's got a, she's got an arc. She's probably got she and Royal probably have the most complete character arcs in the story. Yeah. Um, hers winds up a lot more positive than Royal's. Um well, what's this is something that's interesting about this game too, is I feel like, and you get you get turns playing as some of the other characters, but you almost feel like they could make a spin-off Mina game. Or like a spin-off, like, like there's sort of, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there are these, Robin is, is very, your protagonist. She obviously is a silent protagonist. And everything is very sort of straightforward with Robin. Like, you could kind of play the game and skip half the dialogue. And yeah. just do all this stuff as Robin. Whereas... Everyone else around her has these complex stories. You know, I'm trying to save my sister, and I'm trying to get revenge, and I'm trying to... I this My way of saving the world is to do this, and I think I can save the world if I can do this. But and I don't really care. I'm just in it for... I don't know. And so you kind of have all these other things happening around Robin uh, that... that add this color in this narrative and you almost feel like like I want an Agent Black game. I want to have like a prequel starring Agent Black. Truth truth be told, I feel like the one character if you were to do something like that with you're right, Mina. Mm -hmm. Aside from the fact that you actually play as her, maybe improve her uh, move set a bit. Mm. But she um she's the one that's going on adventures like that's her uh character yeah she can't stay put and that's interesting because that's a that that puts her at odds with her her own like people and she is very much faithful to her religion and that's where i do want to dig more into that in spoilers because she's very much faithful but at the same time she stands for everything against it because she doesn't want to hide. She wants to be out there in the world adventuring. She wants to see everything. Um, and... Uh, again, I I'll get into some of the later stuff in spoilers. I'm not even sure I want to touch on some of that. Um, but then you have Royal, who I feel like there's a lot of people that don't like him. But I think the reason I like Royal is because even though he starts a very conceited brat... His journey is to basically slowly, slowly face reality and get broken down. Mm. And it's a shame because that end is tragic. But he's very much realizing towards the end that he isn't amazing. He, he's got these powers, but he's unable to, make, to, to fix anything. Right, and, and that's the, the first time you meet him. What's he doing? The first time you meet him, he's trying to make flowers like they were in the pictures of the old world. Like but he that can't. Is, he can't, and that like that embodies royal. That small detail 
embodies royal. I almost feel like in a and then royal is almost like the alternate universe protagonist of the game, right? He's sort of like this chosen one who is gonna he's gonna buck the system and do the you know what he wants to do. I don't know. I you almost you can almost kind of see that, but then. Well, obviously, Robin being the, the protagonist, we've already kind of said yeah. that Robin's going to end up saving the world from the apocalypse or whatever. Yeah. That it's not royal. He's not the one. Um, no, he's not. And, and the, you know, where he gets, again, we're not we're not doing the spoiler section, but he doesn't save the world. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he, like, he gives you one of the, a very, a, one of the parts of the game that I'm still a little bit conflicted about involves royal. Chris knows what I'm talking about. I do, I do, I do. We'll get to it in the spoiler section. But, I mean, you do know, we have too much more to say without spoilers? It's. I don't think so. I mean... So, here's one thing I want to say about it. This is... I, I don't know if this is a a real term. so I, Or if I'm the one who's coining this right here, right now. You probably aren't. On but... A Steve. Is what, I, what I'm going to call aspirational retro. And that's what I consider this game. And the idea to me is when, if you go back and play Super Metroid or okay, I'm gonna even get, Castle Area. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish, gonna but I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to cut you no. off anyway. No, uh, no, no, let me finish. Let me finish. Or even Cas Castlevania. Because I can simplify Sym this. Uh, let me talk about it. Or Castlevania <laughs> Symphony of the Night or other things. If you played those games... You played Castlevania Symphony of the Night in 1997, or you played Super Metroid in 93? Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to mess with those dates. Anyway, whatever date that was, it's it's sort of like if you go back now, you can see the cracks, right? You can see the issues. But what this is, it's a game that pretends it's like a 16 bit era, 32 bit era platformer but it's everything we've learned that in game design in the last 20 years since then it has more polish and polished applied to that framework see i can i can simplify this down to for you sure it's as if we never had 3d and games evolved from there well, I don't know about that because I, I don't know. It's Imagine if we went from the Super Nintendo to just the 2D PlayStation games and then onward. It's that kind of an evolution. It's what you playing the Super Nintendo thought future games would be. But I don't even know that it's. I don't. I don't. That's not what I thought. Maybe that's Just closer that to Hollow. Maybe that's closer to Hollow Knight with a hand-drawn animation because this definitely has the pixel art. Right, the so. It. It's just really. It's like. It plays it's, as good as you would remember those games being without actually playing them. Without, right, exactly. That's why I say it's, it's aspirational. It's it's what those games couldn't have been at that time, but it's... What we can have now. What we can have now in sort of looking as sort of an alternate version of the past. Now, for my own final words, I mean... It's my game of the year still. <laughs> and like I've been playing hours of Spider-Man. Steve knows I've been talking about it. Like And Spider-Man is really good. I like Spider-Man better than God of War, which I'm probably the only person. But I and granted I haven't finished Spider-Man yet. And and I can I'm not gonna say right now that I like Spider-Man better than God of War, 
but playing it... It well, starts off better. It, it starts off better. It starts off better. And we'll talk about this on our later podcast. I'm actually getting a really cool experience that I'm getting to play Spider-Man in parallel with my seven-year-old son. That We're, is going to be cool, yeah. And and so... As I get opposed to, see, to playing God of War and then calling your son, boy, boy. Uh, and so I get to see the game through his eyes... And then he's playing on the easy difficulty with like all the accessibility options on. And I get to see it through his eyes. He's actually ahead of me right now. And then sort of get it, see it through my own eyes. It's, it's a really cool experience. But all that to say, well, I can say, see where... Iconoclast is still my game of the year so far of what I've played. And... This is... This is I, can, I can understand why. Yeah. Um... The, it's only not my other, game the only thing I would go into before the spoilers, and it's because I, I go into detail with it in the video, is watch this video. The the whole Mizan scene stuff, where they the the guy puts a lot of detail into the environments, um, a lot of the symbolism for the. Oh, and I got some corrections to make on that. Uh, I do have some corrections for the video. So if you did watch the video, spoiler section, I will have some corrections. Um, but like the the what the triangle means, kind of in the triangles everywhere for the uh, the 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 oh my goodness, yeah. how could I forget their name? The the I forget the, all their names. Oh my goodness, because the icy pirates versus uh, uh, the totalitarian. One concern. Um, that's not their name. One concern. Wait, one concern. One concern. Yeah. Is it the one concern? Is it- well, that's not the. Oh. I guess one concern. I don't know. Um, by the try, uh, but. You have that, you have um, all the scenery in the Icy Pirate base, and there's just little details all over the game, just little tiny things, and again, seven years, one guy, it's, on one hand, you can see, like, only a package this tight could be made by someone that has full control over their creation, at the same time, man, I I imagine he just doesn't want to even think about a sequel to this stuff anymore, because he spent seven years on it. Yeah, so. and if you if you I, I checked out his website, and it seems like that he did a lot of iterative stuff where he had released he did a lot of smaller games before. Where yeah, he did these smaller games that have basically all of it has been pointing to Iconoclast. Yeah, though. like he did something called Ivory Springs, which mm-hmm. was like a small sort of opening chapter, and then effectively, like that was like the pilot, and yeah. now this is the game. So basically, he's been working on Iconoclast. In some form, the world so of Iconoclasts, the mechanics behind Iconoclasts. Yeah, because one of his games is effectively Mina, right? right. Yeah. So it's, it's just sort of almost like his life's work right here, his magnum opus. Unless he m- makes a more magnum, more opus. Which we'll see, yeah. He could end up being like, um, oh shoot, the guy who did Braid, uh, Jonathan Blow. Jonathan oh, yeah. Blow. Um, where he went from being one guy making a game to now he has a company. Yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Joaquin Sandberg. Um, but anyway, this is this is highly recommended. Highly recommended. So if you uh, buy you know, it on Vita, keep the Vita alive. The, no, buy it on Switch. The new Vita. Vita. Buy it on Switch. The new Vita, or apply it on PS4, PC, Xbox. Buy it on whatever platform you prefer. Don't it on. don't buy it on PS4 and then remote play it on your Vita. I feel like that would just you'd lose something. Maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. Buy it on Vita, or buy it on PS4, or buy it on Switch. Just whatever you've got in your hands right now, buy, buy it. it. Okay, spoiler section. Yeah. Spoiler time. Yes, spoiler. So, for all those that, you know, 
don't care about spoilers or you've already beaten the game. So, okay, what do we want to touch on first? Because there's like a million and one things I want to talk about. One of them being, okay, correction from the video. Um, where I spent a lot of time theorizing what the triangle is. And I feel like such an idiot. Because going back and uh, looking at, like, there's a scene where you go down into the underground and you find the big controller. Which right. is the reason that the bird guy comes back anyway. Um, Royal mentions a comment about like it being like a holy icon and stuff. And it's like, oh shoot. Where did they get the controllers and stuff from in the first place? Those are the things that do the spines, which move... The, like, and, like They never go into full detail. I suspect the spines are what kind of churn out and create the ivory or something. Right. Like, like what, what makes this planet mechanical, artificial keeps it changing are the little controllers like those are a part of the natural system the that they learned system. to make that because you go underground father was making a bunch of this stuff and yeah. then they locked up they sealed a bunch of it away which that's where i'm wondering if like a lot of the side content gets some answers into that um that mm -hmm. i'm going to try and do more of on my switch playthrough but that's and that's one of the things again like the, they, they don't tell you everything in the story there's stuff you kind there's of there's a lot of draw flanks you have to so basically the, the way the, the gist of the story is if you want to go back and tell it chronologically is two colony ships crash landed on this strange world um and they they found this substance called ivory, ivory. Which is like this power, it's a power source. source. It's a power source, but it also they've discovered could, if you immerse immerse a human in it, could well it might kill them, or it might, might. give them supernatural strength uh, abilities, invulnerability, etc. You either die or become super supernaturally powerful, but. Almost. If you aren't perfectly blended with the ivory, if you aren't perfectly supernaturally powerful, you usually lose a, a couple limbs or a limb or two, and you might have some form of eternal pain. Right. Like um, Ash, who is hinted at being Agent Black's dad, he constantly feels as if he's dying because like his like his guts right. are always like in turmoil. So Versus yeah. Black is constantly having a headache and you're you're nearly invulnerable and but it's a and nearly immortal but you're yeah. invulnerable because all you gotta do is suck ivory out of the ground and, and you're, you're back to life and you're but it's a life it's a curse as well so then you have that's the one faction and the other faction they use i didn't quite understand them as well but they seems to be where the what was it the one concern is the the, the, the one concern is the ivory faction. is the ivory faction so they're basically draining the ivory and using it for they're using it for energy they're using it to create super soldiers and they've built a whole they're using it around. in mass the icy pirates are the other faction right they are using a lot of uh the seeds on the crash ship so you, you get the sense it's a terraforming vessel it's pretty obvious the old planet was earth so it's like humans from earth went to terraform and they crashed on this planet and they had seeds left over and the icy pirates they still need ivory for energy but they think they're more 
eco-friendly, I'll call it. Because yeah. they think they're pulling it out in small reserves carefully from what they call the ivory pustules, when in truth, they're draining it fast, too. Um, and, and all of this, it turns out that this whole world was built by this some sort bird of... Bird race or something. Another, an alien race... And what exactly their intent was with this world, whether they had... I'm guessing it's just a gas station. Yeah, right. Whether <laughs> that uh, Either way, whatever it is, whether it's supposed to be a gas station or, or whatever else it is, um, now they're basically about to return. Or at least one of them is. One of them is about to return and find that the world is in ruin. Yeah, the, the ivory, ivory has been is run, drained. The yeah. ivory is drained. It's all been wasted, um, and and that's basically going to be the end of the world. And so what we have now is, and now apparently they've seen them before. They've seen the star worms before, or at least they have record of it. They have record of the the star worm, which is basically the ship that this alien bird, bird flies, god yeah. sort of thing is flies, and so. That is the apocalypse that Robin finds herself caught up in. Yes, because unbeknownst to the, anyone in the world, the one concern is trying to prepare for the end times. They're trying to stall it, but secretly Mother has a plan to go to the moon with select people from Bastion Tower that know nothing but obedience. And that's one of the interesting things, because again, we're probably going to be jumping around in the spoilers, yeah. I'm sorry. One of the interesting things that I did not realize until, again, this is like sort of an oh dumb moment, was the gun they test on the kid in Bastion Tower, I never made the connection, but that's the same weapon that the bird guy uses on Royal and Robin, because it gets, and, and the interviewer confirmed this, basically... What Robin is hit with at the end that puts her in this weird sort of alter reality, it's all of her anxieties. It's all mm. of the things that has her worried and everything. And that's why when Royal's hit with it, he gets like super depressed. He gets like nothing but misery. He gives up kind of a deal. And so does the kid that's hit with it at the um, Bastion Tower where they do the stage play and he's like talking he's trash you know the kid that oh yeah, yeah went out and I didn't even realize he's the same kid that went out in the suit that's why he insists it's not a human boy that he's talking to he's like what are you and everything I didn't realize that was the same kid okay it's a, and it's another one of those oh dumb moments so like for someone that's talking about Mise and seeing the little details it's not until like the third playthrough I realized some of the most obvious stuff Right, but um, um, but anyways, that's that's the framework that all of these characters we've been talking about find themselves caught up in. So you have you know what black, chrome, ash. Um, that's what dude. I I love that. Except for chrome, all the agent names black, white, ash, gray are like grayscale. It's all grayscale. It's uh, interesting color, like black and white color. Versus Chrome, who is color, and he's the one that, like, stand Like, he's the general. He stands apart. He's not actually mm. an agent. Which is right. weird. I don't know what determines that, but... Yeah. Um, so, they're sort of... Yeah, and Royal, obviously, who... Is the quote-unquote son of Mother. 
Right. So what you have is is this system where those who are immersed in the ivory to become agents or whatever else, uh, and you get to see a pretty gruesome scene of all of those who didn't make it, who are just basically dissolved skeletons floating in the ivory. Um, yeah, where they, they, they toss a mention that, like, you know, we haven't had any new good candidates in a long time, and soon, like five minutes after that, you drop beneath ground, and it's nothing but the remains of failed fusions. Right. Like, oh, so, messed up. So when you have a, a perfect fusion, they're basically kind of become next in line to be the the ruler. Yes. So you have... Uh, and the, the one currently is Mother, but later you find out there's a retired father. And he's just stuck in a wheelchair. Yeah, in the tower and you and find... Him. So the statues, your safe points in the first half are statues of mother. Later in the game, you'll find old statues of father, father. Uh, in this in this area. And so Royal is one of the main characters. He thinks he's going to be the next father. Yeah, he thinks he's going to be the next ruler. And again, like... <sighs> but later he finds himself rejected by mother. Yeah, rejected by everyone. Like every step of the way. He's rejected by everyone every step of the way. And finally, he thinks he's going to be the one to save the world, he sees the, the star worm. He wants to try, but at the, at the same time, and again, this is where I like his journey, because I think it also is like very, I think a lot of people can probably relate to it. He reaches the point where he's fo he's forced kind of into an existential crisis, where he right. realizes everything he tries to do fails, and here is Robin, the simple mechanic that does nothing but help people and succeeds in it. Right. And so he has one last idea... And he's nothing but uh, thankful towards her, but it's like it's all he has left. And that's the thing: when he finally meets his God, which he believes has chosen him. Otherwise, why would he have fused perfectly with the ivory? And the, the this God seems completely apathetic towards his very existence. Royal just loses it. He loses it. He gets angry, and uh, it's like as punishment, the Storm hits him with that depression beam. And that's where the that's the moment you were talking about earlier, right? Right. Where you so <laughs> divided on where, according to Joaquin Sandberg in an interview, he wanted to make sure the player and Robin herself learned that you can't save everybody. And and, and so you you carry Royal uh, as far as you can carry him, and then in order to continue the game. You have to leave him behind because you, he's got like the ID that allows you to pass through the doors. Like he's got, he's got. Right, you've only got one. Only one person it's can like pass through the door. It's like DNA activated, basically. Right, only one person can pass through the door, and you're carrying Royal, and he won't move. He can't move. Well, it's like you can't access the door either way because it needs his ID, kind of a thing. Right, his, and so the only way to make it through the door is to drop him. To leave him behind to die. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. Like he's he'd given up by that point. You can't do anything else. Right, and that's um, that's the yeah right. That's it's, it stinks. And I've looked online to see if there's any, but that's the thing. The, the developer confirmed. He's like, I wanted to make sure. I don't. I think he confirmed that there's nothing else you can do there. Um, because I don't think there's multiple endings to the game unless it's like you know complete all the other stuff. Right. But otherwise, like. He dies. There's not like a Chrono Trigger Magus ending or something. No. Or Chrono Trigger Chrono ending. Right. Well, you, like, if you... I mean, it works both ways. You either kill Magus or you get him on your team. Or 
you know, after Chrono dies, you go save him. Anyways, spoilers for like a 25-year-old game. I, I just mean like he shows up in the la- in like the final cutscene when it's going showing everybody. It'll have Magus there, or if you killed Magus, oh yeah, he just looks completely random. Or if you don't, if you kill Magus, you don't have Magus there. There's nothing like that. For and Glenn's her. a human. What's that? Yeah, Glenn's a human. Um, but there's nothing like that for Royal. He's dead. Yes, he's dead. He's gone. The last screen you see at the V end is the big old flower he tried to make as a real flower. Which again, that's what I think really. I love that little detail that everything that encapsulates who Royal's going to be through the game is someone trying to make natural flowers and he can't. Hmm. Because he's trying to do... I mean, for the most part, he's trying to do what is right. Um, he's bu- he, he is bucking the system the whole time. Like, Robin helps him. And when he finds out she's a fugitive, it, it, it makes everyone else angry. But basically, he's like, no, this person's not a bad person. They helped me. So I'm going to save them, right? And that's why I like I I, I can't hate Robin. I mean, I'm not Robin Royal. I can't yeah. hate Royal. He is, I think, though he was he's a spoiled brat, but he is not a bad person at heart. He right. is a victim of circumstance. Um, as much as I know, people probably hate that idea. It's like, oh, pity the poor rich white boy. You know, like <laughs> like literally white. Uh, yeah, <laughs> white hair, you know, white honey, outfit, everything. White um, the whitest guy you know. Uh, subtext, um, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, Elro, on the other hand, the more I play through the game, the less I like him. So, like the first time, I was like, okay, I can understand where he's like, like the one scene that is most effective is when you're in the uh, the house that um, in the 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 Shockwood Shockwood Forest. Mm-hmm. Where you're in the house that is about to go undergo pe- penance, and he just grabs Robin and runs out, and he's freaking out. He's like PTSD yeah. there, and he's just like, "Why are you looking for like?" That's I can understand his response in that moment. I can understand him, and I also feel like it, it's amusing watching him and me because Mina is always trying to take jabs at the mm-hmm. one concern. She's always trying to be snarky and take jabs and point out all the little flaws. And Elro just kind of shrugs it off and he's like, yeah, but what about you guys? Yeah. And that well, irritates her. And that's and also, I mean, Elro is I like the that one, dynamic. Elro is also the one who, who essentially set these events in motion, right? Yes. Elro, Elro kick-started everything. I, it's gotta be a secret in there because you never really find out why their dad died. And that's the closest you get to any idea of Robin being a chosen one, is her dad was killed by the one concerned. You don't know why, but the thing is, like, she, even then, at most, was just taught by her dad to be an engineer, and he came to regret it. He came to want Mm -hmm. her to instead be a farmer like her mom, like, not to not risk the one concerned's wrath kind of a deal. And you can see where Elro gets it, right, where he just, you know... He's just the worst version of it, yeah. Right. Um, but in the end, and I do love that even technically, even in the end, Elro learns a lesson. It's just the very, very end where she actually saves the world. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you what to do anymore. <laughs> like, congratulations. The, the perfect end is her like, you know, just slumping right back into bed. Just like yeah. no response, no nothing. Just I'm going to bed now. And it's like. You earned it. You earned like that is the most earned nap I've ever seen. In I just fixed everything and saved the world. I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. 
Um, but I feel like I want to talk about Mina a bit. Because, again, she had an arc as well. And her arc was mostly in... Again, like, she's got her own parallel to Royal. Because her big thing is she also needs to grow up. And she also needs to... I guess open her... I don't know. Because she, like Royal, she's very much about her faith. She takes it very, mm -hmm. very seriously. And... Throughout the game, she's repeatedly, effectively... She, she learns that she needs to stop expecting people to just deal with the crap. Mm -hmm. and, and I think... I imagine most people playing the game will be a lot more receptive to her attitude. But I do think a lot of times her attitude is intentionally antagonistic. And I think the... I think Joaquin Sandberg, the designer and writer, intentionally made sure to have her turn that attitude towards Robin so that the player would ne uh, would hopefully never completely think her actions and attitude were fine. I don't want to put right. words in his mouth, but... Because when she turns on Robin, you get to see that petulant, childish nature where she's just lashing out at someone. She's being emotional. Yeah. And I, th I want to believe that's what the author intended because I don't think it's right for people to think... From start to finish, her character's okay. She needs to grow up, too. Um, she's very childish. She's very... Because she's got that sort of high school nature where, again, she's like, Ha-ha, your beliefs. Ha-ha. And... She eventually has to grow up beyond that. Oh, yeah. theory. I do theorize that Captain Myron is her father. Yeah, I, you know, I I didn't... Until, you said, no until you said that was a theory... I think I had made that assumption. You made the assumption? When I'm playing through the game, so yeah. Because, like, the, mom, the way the mom talks and is afraid of, like, you know, being left alone by Mina. Right. It makes sense considering her dad just went off to do his own thing. Yeah. And um, this is where, so, so if you haven't, if you haven't played it or you sort of had, didn't really pay too much, you can see a, a sort of a difference here between the one, can, the people who are living under the one concern and the, the, uh, the pirates, where it's like everything in the one the lives of those under the one concern is like totally structured. What you do, where you go, where you live, this is all like, it's it's very totalitarian, where you get the impression you get with the pirates is that The impression you get. Is that it's all, it's, there's a, there's a sort of a freedom, but you almost wonder if it's like a, how would you say it? It's a, it's an enforced freedom. It's an illusion, you mean? An illusion. Well, not, not, I mean, not an illusion of freedom. But nobody's like, forced into a job. Nobody's forced into a role. But there are, again, some of those parallels. Um, like Elro points out, you know, because what does Mina say? She says like everyone does whatever needs to be done. And Elro is like, well, isn't that kind of the same thing? Um, I, I'm misquoting it so bad. Yeah. Um, but but there, there's something like that. But at the same time. The one big thing that they they draw on is like the Dr. Gustavo. He makes a mention about having a disease that will be transmitted through children. Like it was, it's a genetic disease. So in with the Icy Pirates, because they found this terraforming ship whose documentation is all about the survival of the species, um, both the seeds and procreation are big on their 
um, mm. on their philosophy. It's all about procreating and pairing up and stuff. And for Gustavo, that makes him an outcast because for the survival of the species, he can't breed because he'll just pass on a disease. Right. So, but that's one of the things that for Mina, I, 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 I feel like this might be stepping into like, you know, dangerous territory. Um, Mina's character, I feel like, and I, I wonder if it was because they wanted to put up a supportive front. She is in a same-sex relationship with Samba. Um, mm. And unless maybe one of them is supposed to be transsexual, but I don't think it, I don't even know. I don't even, I, that I really don't want to get into. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. But I mean, otherwise, right. my, my impression from the get-go was it was a same-sex relationship, which means you can't have babies. And... So you're wondering if are they, they is it a, like they never really outright say polyamorous because if it's polyamorous because they met like the 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 um, Mina's mom mentions you know oh there's a boy he likes talking to you such and such it sounds like they're trying to do a matchmaker but Mina yeah. loves Samba Mina also loves adventure so on the adventure front they have her really standing against what mm-hmm. the pirates kind of stand for. Because she really is true freedom, and as you can see, the actual pirate life like suppresses that. She, they, no one wants her to go adventure. They, she puts her them in danger and everything. But I feel like, and I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to do. Maybe Joaquin Sandberg didn't want to do it because maybe it's risky territory. Maybe someone will think it's intolerant, even though technically it's also kind of. It should be relatable, it's, right. it's, it's, but it's, in this society, shouldn't a same-sex relationship be viewed negatively? Right. And, and that's this is where, think, right? Unless, yeah, there's a, yeah, like that. It's a weird thing to talk about, but I mean, I do think it is yet another element in which Samba, uh, not Samba, Mina, is so tied to her life as an icy pirate. It is part of our identity. And yet, everything she is stands against that. And that's a lot of the character, or at least some of the characters, right? Like, that's Elro, also, where... Yeah. I mean, he literally killed a one concern agent. Uh, he, well, he was the first one. He doesn't actually pray. Like, he doesn't really right. believe but it. But he's still... He's, he's like, he doesn't believe it, but he's still... And he's working with the Chemico Contra, who are all about finding an alternate source of energy. Right. So even before... Even before he kills anybody, he's a rebe- he's a rebel, but, a rebel, blah, 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 a rebel against the one concern. But he's still committed to his religion. To an extent, he's he's committed to surviving within the uh, right until his dad dies, or at least the 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 concepts, the broad concepts of it. Maybe. No, I'd say he's still acting in his own interest. It's just. It's similar but different to Mina still. Right. Because he's still acting in his own interest, but Mina talks a lot, and this impression is gained very quickly when you first meet her, but I think Mina sincerely cares, which is why she's able to grow as a character, which is why after Bastion Tower, it is kind of a a, a, uh, sad scene where Samba, you know, says, I'm not going to keep waiting for you, but Mina feels 
responsible. She feels like she needs to go find Robin. Mm -hmm. And it's because she feels an appreciation for Robin. She understands Robin is strong and everything, but she, she it's like, this person has helped me so much, I owe her this. And I think that's the beginning of, me, of Mina growing up in the game. Um, she's always kind of, eh. Um, she always has that smart-alecky nature. So she, but that's the thing. Like in real life, nobody completes growing. People keep right. growing. Yeah. So, um, and we haven't even started talking about Agent Black. We're about on an hour. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about Agent Black. Yeah. Um, after I just talked so much, uh, why don't you start? Well, with I mean, it's, it's tough because you well you played the, through the game twice. Uh, you have a little bit more background. Two point seven five. Two point seven five. <laughs> almost three times. Um. And I was sort of just starting to pick up on some of the, the different character character stuff. And it's tough because this is a game where it's not... There aren't these extended cutscenes where it's really... Where you get tons of exposition about this character and their motives. You know, Black doesn't have a big soliloquy. And I think that's intentionally done, too. Like, right. the, the way the author said. Like, you, you, get, you get the basic gist of the story. You're always going to have the basic story, but... They give you a lot of blanks to fill in. Yes. And they give you, they give you, he gives you some lines to read between as well uh, to fill in those blanks. Yeah. Like one of the big ones that I think I might have mentioned in the video is, you know, when Matt, when uh, Agent Black is sitting there like, this is my rocket. She mentions she has a piece of paper in her pocket. She's, it has one order. It's been there for a long time. And, you know, Royal remembers that her name is Madeline. You go up to the moon and there's a door that says Madeline. And what you get the impression of is the piece of paper was her ticket to the moon. That's all she has to live for now that Agent Grey is dead. Yeah. Um, but so, so Black is... She's so difficult because she's like your... Your biggest. She's the closest to a real nemesis or Robin. Right, you're, you're, she's the biggest antagonist, the nemesis to Robin throughout the story. Yet, even though technically Elro is her nemesis, like it's true, he does it just as much to to get in her way. Um, but uh, uh, you just you just can't help liking Black. Part of it's the sense of humor. Right. Like, one of my favorite things is right in the very beginning where she walks in on Robin uh, uh, helping Elro fix the house. And just very flatline, oh no, Edenism. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. no emotion. Or at least that's how I read it. Just, Robin, you're doing the thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, she's... It's, it's sort of like... She great personality. And you can definitely understand her frustration, too. Like, she doesn't like the pompers and circumstance... She's tired of working with all of these, like, especially the one concerned soldiers. Like she, she hates having to hear Chrome drone on and on. She just wants to get she this does, stuff done. She does her job. She does it well. She doesn't have uh So there She's was constantly I, got a headache. I once did a thing. Oh, it was I you know oh we like your coffee order and what it says about you, and I selected for my coffee order uh, was a double espresso, and. The, what it says about you is you don't suffer fools. Agent Black doesn't suffer fools. Yeah, because she suffers a headache. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then you are, you get this. This is, this is someone who is always in physical pain, right? From uh, from the, the loss of arms the ivory, and right. the headache. Yeah. Yeah, she's basically a cyborg in, in constant pain. 
I asked just as a side note, that's one of those tropes I kind of like is this idea of the and this enhanced human who has paid an awful price for the enhancements. It's just like a, rather than just this sort of very clean superhuman abilities we always see that like no this comes at it comes great, at a cost. Yeah. It comes at a great cost to the person. And so, and I guess that's part of what it is. With all these other guys, you don't necessarily feel the pain in the character. Whereas with Black, you really feel like this is someone who, you know, life is pain. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite literally, but... The, and so, and then you have, so, and I so think that's what you had Agent Grey, right? Well, again, what's also, I mean, because if you trace further back, because again, if the, the, the hints, the obvious hints are, you know, correct. Ash mentions a daughter that was very pious. When you first stumble upon the transcender machine, it's very clearly Agent Black that they show going through the transformation. And she even mentions she forgot, like, who told her, like, she thinks a man recommended it to her. Um, to get the tra- to transcend, but you get the sense that she was a, once a very pious person, and then she went to the transcender machine and everything went wrong. And also, she lost her dad because her mm-hmm. dad got outcast because he tried to stop it. So, like we're talking about someone that was very pious, very much believed in this god, went to the machine, came out with no arms and an extreme headache. And, and you see it when they show the arm, the robot arm. The chemical contra person shows the arm. And you just get this black emo- uh, blank emotionless stare. Mm. And it's like that's the moment where Agent Black was true. Like, she's Agent Black. She's this super negative, super cynical person. And yes, Agent Grey comes along and is able to almost crack a smile. Like, basically... For the longest time, Agent Black's been resisting showing any t- kind of fond emotion. And then, just as she's thinking about it, Elro takes her away. And and that's where our story begins, essentially. Yes. And, oh, she's such a good character. And she's got some of the greatest dialogue. And, again, and greatest song. If you haven't played this game and you're listening to it, this is, again, a, a 2D... 16-bit-ish platformer, essentially. And this is part of what makes the, the game so great is how much the writing and the, the limited amount of narrative in the game, how much it's able to convey uh, Part of that's the characters. animations, too. Like, part of that is just incredible animations. Like, one of my favorite parts is where she's in the room of nothing but sand, where Ivory can't help them. And she's got Royal pinned. And because he doesn't have his powers, all he can do is try and punch her in the face. And it's so weak and pitiful. And it's like just the way they... Mm-hmm. Like he took the time to animate that. And there's so much of that throughout. Like when she's really looking like a beast trying to find Arrow at the rocket. Like very oh, man. specific animations. And even if you only see it once in the game, it's like it is worth it like it, it it makes these moments memorable it is the greatest well, this, and you get this her her character sort of finale at the end where you get this sort of this evolution almost right where now she's kind of gone full-on rage beast yeah right 
And then Robin keeps on sticking the ivory seeds into her, which she's so driven that... She's puking ivory and everything, but she's still but going. She's, she's still she's going. La- at this point, she's lasted longer than Mother against this, this similar attack. Mother, who's supposed to be, you know, this very powerful... Black is just by sheer determination. And then eventually she becomes... By sheer determination, she becomes a giant monster! She becomes just a pure ivory monster. And again, best music in the game is playing in the background. And I probably have it for the podcast right now. I probably went, found it. It's like, this is the background music for this segment. Yeah. And (laughs) it's... Moonlight is the name of the song, by the way. (laughs) Ah. It really is... um, It's a great... and, and, And again, this is... We're talking about what makes this game great. The whole sequence, the music, the the narrative elements. We should we haven't even talked about the music, and that was the same guy. And the the way the gameplay, the narrative, the music, and the art all fit together, and that that, that section in particular to me, it it's perfect. Your the intensity is up to eleven, and the whole thing. I had a really hard time with one section of the boss fight, but. Because he's bad at video games. Yes, because I'm bad at video games. <laughs> um, it's really, it's it's all perfect. And then from a pacing perspective, you get this, you finish this, it black dies. Black black is finally... And you just have this great moment. Well, you have a moment of quiet. Right. And at the same time, like the narrative is still going because Elro's not pushing the damn button. So you still have intense stuff going on until, yes... Then you have the moment of calm in the rocket in space. Right, then you finally get this moment of calm. Um, and then, like, that's effectively the last dungeon of the game, and you go, like, because when you go down to fight the final boss, it's a very short dungeon. Yeah, it's not really a dungeon like the others were. Yeah. But that's, that's... Uh, yeah, that's, I guess that... If you had to sum up the game and what's great about the game in one section, it's the, the final dungeon leading into... The what is it? Three part, four part. Well, you got you got the different. Um, you have the rocket fight where she's sub agents. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, oh, with black. You get the first. You got to get the elevator started. That's the worst part. I hate that fight. You get the elevator part. You got to start. Then you got to fight eight black at the rocket. No, then, even before that, black is you're on your you're on your way up, and like black is yeah. That's when you got to do the elevator. Okay, yeah, right, you get the elevator started right. Sorry, then then you you're fight. at the rocket. That's the second fight with her, um, where she has a great monologue. Um, then you have where she's the monster in the first part. Then it's like brain monster. All right, yeah. So, so it's like a four-part. It's this four-part boss fight, and each part is requiring different abilities, different different skills, different usages of it. So it's funny because that first part, I didn't have any trouble with the first part where you start the rocket. I had trouble with phase three. Phase three, and and then I had a lot easier time on Switch when I was playing. You might have actually patched it again. Like that might have been something that was patched too. I don't know. Yeah. Um. And you're right. It's just the. I can't really say any more about it. That's just, it's just a great good. example of of great des- uh, just great design. And again, the the singular vision we were talking about, where where one person saw this idea through from from start to finish. And uh, it really shows. Yeah. Oh, man. Definitely. Just talking about it again, man. Like, this is definitely, so far, top game 2018 of what I've played. 
Um, I'll give it my top Vita game of 2018. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's where we'll we'll, we'll end our conversation there. I lo I love Iconoclast clearly. Um, for any for conversations about Robin, you can go right back to my video. I do in depth on the mechanics. Most of what I if I dive into any character, it's in Robin and Chrome. Um, so enough words have been said there. Um, and if you're listening on the regular podcast through headphones, youtube.com slash ramblepack64, um, ramblepack no C64. And again, even if you're on the YouTube channel, because if you're on the YouTube channel, you probably never bothered going to my website or checking any of this other stuff out. www.ramblepack64.com is great. Go there. It's mobile friendly now. And uh, yeah, yeah for, for, for more of the podcast, I have links to the, the, the iTunes, Google Play, my RSS feed, so you can drop it into any of your other programs. And just, we have, I have episodes on God of War, we talked about Infinity War, we talked about a lot of stuff, Near Automata, Once Upon a Time, that's a great episode. Um, th again, I'll probably post these once in a while for games I'm not immediately looking to do um, videos of anytime soon. Um, don't listen to the Star Wars episodes because no one can listen to Star Wars anything anymore, evidently, without going crazy. No, yeah, Star Wars apparently drives people crazy. Evidently. Solo was good, though. I've heard people say that. I'm waiting for it to show up on Netflix. It's fun. I mean, that's what I've heard. Um, I'm, but I, I'm, I'm as evidently Mr. Opposite Man because... The, You're probably going to think it's a I like Rogue One. slob. No, I, like, I, I like Rogue One and nobody else likes Rogue One anymore. Lots of people like Rogue One. Do they not, not like anymore. Rogue One anymore? What? Evidently not. I don't know. Oh, because, is it like retroactively because they don't like The Last Jedi and they now don't like the Rogue One? No, I don't Because know, Kathleen dude. Kennedy ruined Star Wars worse I, than I George just, Lucas could ever help to. No, but it's because Star Wars Next the Last time Jedi is the Next time on Steve. All Star Wars may as well not exist now that Last Jedi exists because it's the best. No, 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 no. Okay, that's 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 why we can't do this. No Star Wars. No Star Wars. On that bombshell. Uh, on that bombshell. Um, yeah. Uh, go to the website, subscribe, listen, and we'll have a couple more like Spider-Man once in a while, just special ones on video games. So, all right, everybody, have a good night. All right, man, get out the way. This thing don't eat up bone meal. <laughs>